So welcome, uh, Professor Ahmed, to this uh, podcast of EU Ronco platform uh, on prostate cancer. Today, uh, at the main uh, on the main stage, there was a discussion on uh, on focal therapy, and you were supporting, uh, of course, uh, focal. Uh, now it has been more or less twenty uh, years. We 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 introduced focal therapy in the index lesion theory. And uh, only five years ago, um, the guidelines were not recommending focal. Uh, I think two, three years ago, a position paper from the guidelines again came out saying uh, it should be performed only within the context of trials. And now the recommendation just changed, uh, recommending for um, more um, evidence-based energies registries, whereas trial for the remaining energies. What do you think uh, is the main reason there is this change, there has been this change, and why now this change happened uh, in the guidelines? It's great to be here and meet you. So uh, the, the guidelines changed this year to say that focal HIFU and focal cryotherapy can be used as part of prospective registry. So they can be done outside of trials, done out of, outside of research, but we must collect the data. We still must collect the data in, in a registry uh, platform. Other modalities still need to be done within clinical trials or research. I think there's several reasons. One, we have now more mature data. We have data from men who generally have intermediate risk disease and some high risk. Very few in our series have low risk disease. So I think it's reassured people that we're treating the right type of cancer. Uh, and we now also have medium term data, you know, survival close to 100%, failure free survival you know, 70-80% uh, depending on case selection and what you do and how you define it. And some good propensity match data with radical prostatectomy and radiotherapy showing um, within the limitations of propensity-weighted data that the outcomes look very similar. Obviously, it's not an RCT. Uh, and something I think we might touch on later on is, and they made a comment on this, that There have been attempts at randomization with focal, but those attempts have not really succeeded. Um, and so how long are we going to keep on asking for RCTs when it's clear that RCTs are not possible? Okay, thank you very much. And um, a second question, which um, uh, relates as well to, the, to, to, to perhaps the implementation of this recommendation is the fact that uh, focal therapy is very rapidly entering Uh, clinical practice, and that is raising very rapidly interest as well. Um, what is your opinion on this uh, very rapid expansion? And, and uh, from a focalist perspective, do you have any fear that uh, an easier access to focal, not only for patients, but mainly for physicians, for urologists, may translate in not performing focal in the right way and hence jeopardizing what would be the real potential benefit of this treatment. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think there's two dangers with the, the rapid dissemination. One is that newer technologies which do not have enough evidence. So the, the technologies at pole position at the moment are high and cryo. They have the greatest amount of evidence uh, with medium-term data. But these new technologies coming on and claiming equivalent focal therapy Um, 
uh, rationale, I think is that's that's one big danger. And if you're going to use new technologies, they really must be done within clinical trials uh, and research protocols. You know, that's an absolute must. And this, the second big danger, as with any kind of technology dissemination, we saw this with robotic prostatectomy, is once you go beyond those early adopters who have done hundreds and everybody starts doing it, the, the outcomes start to deteriorate. Uh, and one of the reasons why I feel in the UK we've been showing maybe better results than other papers have is we have very much controlled who can do it, how they do it, and we lay down a very strict pathway to being trained up and continuing to you know, submit to quality checks. Um, and so my, my concern is that as we get dissemination, people won't follow the correct training. They won't do enough. You need to do, these are not easy procedures and you need to do lots. You need to learn from, you know, the, the best in the world in your region and make sure you constantly check your results. Great. This is very interesting. Um, we actually agrees. I uh, think that that has been around for a while and is now probably changing is that for a drug, you need years and years of uh, of validation studies, whereas for a new technologies, which is bio, can be bi- process biopsy platform or other platform, it just gets on the mar- market and and can be used. Absolutely. And um, and uh, the same concerning the, the the training pathway, which I think uh, is uh, is uh, is very important. And even more, I think, uh, in the context of a technology which seems easy to use, like it could be a process biopsy, but then then is not is not that easy at all. And on the contrary, needs. I think very strict indication, especially now. Absolutely, even been. even doing a targeted fusion biopsy now requires significant skill, and you know you often we all often see cases where the lesion has been missed or undersampled, uh, and maybe with better skill that would have been better. So you're so reliant on the diagnostic information that has to be done properly by a good radiologist, and then the biopsy has to be done by a really good urologist. And there's no difference with the focal therapy and robotic surgery. You have to have excellence at the treatment level as well. Yeah, to optimize the results, every yeah. every ring of a chain needs to be, to be at, uh, at its best. Okay, thank you. And so um, another question, uh, which uh, uh, has also been uh, mentioned uh, a few times during today's, today's discussion, um, is the... the Protect trial recently published his uh, 15 years outcome in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, so we were curious about asking, how do you see, how do, would you position focal within the context of, uh, of, of the results? Notably, uh, one third of the patients were intermediate with some high risk and likely more than half of the court if we think about the change in pathological criteria, if you think about the, the upgrading we had with systematic biopsy and that is reduced now. So likely more than half would be intermediate risk. What, what is uh, your quote on, on this and how would you position focal? Yeah, so, you know, protect, a fantastic achievement, but like any big RCTs with long-term follow-up, by the time they come out, the, the, the data is less relevant to clinical practice. But what we know is that we shouldn't be treating low-risk disease on the whole, uh, especially in the new diagnostic pathway. We're, we're going to get less misclassification. So I don't think we'll see that difference that protects or with metastases-free survival between monitoring and radical therapy as we start to use MRI and, and better surveillance. So, you know, don't treat low-risk disease if you're confident it's low-risk disease. And then there's a, 
group of men who have high-risk disease, they benefit. We know from that from SPCG4, and we know that from PROTECT, that they, it does confer a metastasis-free survival advantage, and that's likely to be predominantly in the higher-risk group. And in the intermediate-risk group, I think there's a lot of men who will progress, but will progress slowly. So a lot of them could be on surveillance. When they progress, they can have focal or radical. Some of them where we think they are likely to progress and who want to preserve their genitourinary function. They know there's no 10 to 15 year data from focal therapy, but they're happy to accept that uncertainty. I think it should be offered as an option. Uh, I think we should move away from this paternalistic approach where we tell patients what to have and share the information and patients will make the decision that's right for them. Great. So we come to the to the last uh, question of the podcast. So um, a few years ago, again, we were debating a lot um, around the introduction or not to focal in, in people recommending against focal were stating no randomized trial data exist. Um, and many, many papers came out stating uh, the difficulty of randomizing uh, men to focal treatment or radical treatment due to clear differences in, in side effects. So um, we would like to ask you about the trials you're running on focal at, at your institution and, and how the feasibility, the recruitment is going and maybe about some results. And, uh, and what's, what is your quote on the feasibility on, of over cities? Also, given um, a, a recent trial has proved feasibility in, uh, in Norway, which recently came out from, uh, from Dr. Bako. Yeah, so uh, the Oslo trial from Dr. Bako, the FARP, it's called the FARP, um, randomized just over 200 men. But although they were able to recruit within the radical arm, about one in three men refused their allocation to radical prostatectomy. And so men were sort of, after agreeing to take part in the trial, didn't like their allocation. They were hoping to get focal. Uh, and in the focal arm, very few dropped out. There was a few, but very few dropped out. So there's a uh, the PART trial, Oxford, uh, Freddie's Ham- Freddie Hamdi, again, um, they had to lower their target, extend the recruitment period, one in four men refused their radical treatment allocation uh, and had either focal or surveillance or something else, um, whereas very few of the focal arm dropped dropped out. And our own IP4 Kronos study, we showed the same. We couldn't recruit quickly enough to justify an 800 to 1,000 patient study, which is what you will need. Um, and even with the new target, we struggled. And... Again, one in four men, roughly, refused their radical treatment allocation. Now, when you're powering a study on the basis of non-inferiority, which is what you have to do, focal versus radical is non-inferior in terms of 10-year cancer outcomes, then an imbalance of compliance to that degree completely messes that power calculation up to the point where, you know, you're the robustness of your long-term outcomes is going to be challenged if one in four men having radical don't even have it. Uh, and so I think it's tough. My biggest regret, just lastly, is not running a randomized trial 10 years ago because at that point we probably had equipoise. But I don't beat myself too much up about it because if I had asked a funding body for yes. £2 million pounds 10 years ago, 
the peer reviewers and the panel would have absolutely rejected it straight up because at that time, 10 years ago, people were saying that focal therapy is unethical, that the untreated tissue is going to be riddled with cancer and these men are going to metastasize. And that's not been the case. But we've come to the point, the old adage, just to finish off, you know, with surgery, it's, it's too early to randomize because you don't have the expertise until it's too late because you've developed the expertise, you've developed the outcomes and you've lost equipoise. Great. Thank you very much. Very interesting to have this talk. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much.